Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you so much for joining us again today. And I am making it a regular habit to speak to people from the land down under. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because, you know, I'm kind of a tipsy-turvy guy myself, but they want to come on the Intentional Encourager podcast, and I want them on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And I have such a treat today to talk with the author of Convert Your Database to Dollars, sales trainer and founder of TikTok Sales. And once we start into Brittany's story, there is a a component of her story that is going to resonate with you. And it is my treat to welcome, again, from the land down under. Good day, mate. Brittany Baldwin (laughs) joins me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Brittany, how are you? G'day. I'm great. Thank you, Brian. It's so fantastic to be here um, and to connect with, as you said, other people from all around the globe and particularly you and your listeners uh, in in America and beyond. So thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I have a quasi small following in Australia now. So you, you just never know where the Intentional Encourager podcast is going to show up. I appreciate that. In the worst possible Australian accent with a hillbilly twist. <laughs> you know, it's um that makes us easily identifiable. So, uh, so you can always spot an Aussie in the crowd, whether you're you're holidaying overseas or or now in particular with the rise of digital, it's so much easier to connect. So, uh, my apologies if my my voice sounds a little bit um, ocho, if you will, but uh, it's 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 fairly normal for me here down in Australia, and I hope you'll get used to it too. <laughs> I love how you guys say holiday. We're on holiday. Holiday. We, we, we say holiday here in the States like it's 4th of July or it's Memorial Day or it's Labor Day. Holiday for people in the United States is like an extra day off work. So, I mean, right. but, but let's translate for just a second. Holiday in your part of the world and in Europe and things like that is a vacation. Yes. So you refer to it as vacation. We use it as holiday or going traveling or um, if anyone wants to know, that is my favorite pastime in the entire world. <laughs> my whole life revolves around where I can be, when I can be. And then, um, you know, using using those special holidays, uh, yes. such as my birthday, my birthday and my wedding anniversary are three days apart. So every October you will find me traveling somewhere new and exciting. That's pretty cool that your birthday and your wedding anniversary are three days apart. That mm-hmm. that's really cool. So it's good planning, is what it is. It it's an excuse is, to go away. <laughs> it's very good planning. Yes. My wife, my my birthday is in August. My yes. my wedding anniversary, my wife and I, our wedding anniversary. So so our our fall is a little different, Brittany. So my birthday's in August. My son's birthday is in September, exactly. We're exactly a month apart. Then my wife and I have our wedding anniversary. We get a month off, and then her birthday is a week before Christmas. Okay, so you've got a pretty busy um, end to the year, if you will, in terms of those festivities. Right, right, (laughs) right. 
Yeah. And, and again, you know, with your wife's birthday a week before Christmas, you know that, that the next, you know, so you celebrate her birthday and then the next week is Christmas. So, yeah. you know. Two gifts, obviously. Um, maybe. Not obviously. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Hey, Brittany, let's, let's dive into your story. It is so fascinating. Um, telling your story. And that's why I wanted to have you on the intentional encourager podcast. You have such a powerful story to tell, but I, I wanted to ask you your, your book convert your database to dollars in this pandemic that we find ourselves in now with this COVID-19 situation, you may have some folks that say, well, my database is not as robust as it needs to be, or they might say, I have tried to call the prospects on my database and somebody's lost a job or somebody's not in the position. They've been furloughed. We've had a lot of furlough here in the United States. You guys have already been through this somewhat in Australia and your, your time of reopening and coming back has passed. What have you learned as a business person from this about converting that database to dollars? You know, it's interesting, Brian, because our experience with the pandemic has been on a much um, smaller scale than some of the, the other countries like Europe, like America. So um, we have we haven't had the huge impact that I suspect a lot of these other countries have faced and the business owners. Without a doubt, it has been challenging, particularly for certain industries. So um, first and foremost, my sympathy lies with the people who have been affected personally and professionally by, um, by this crisis that's going on in the world. What I have discovered um, through connecting with other business owners, the people who are existing on my database and people who are looking to even go into business is that this has been a time for them to reflect upon where their business is at the moment, where they want it to be, and then how they can um, transition and make that change despite the challenges that they're facing. Mm -hmm. So what I've found really is that some people have faced challenges where they've lost business, but they've been able to reinvent themselves and gain business on the other hand. Mm -hmm. So uh, if I had to have an overwhelming um summary of our experience with it is we're the Aussie battlers. We are really the, the underdogs, we're the, we're the positive thinkers, and we're looking to um, think beyond this crisis and uh, adapt to the changes that are so clearly happening in the world, like, like, like the rise of digital. The fact that we can sit here right now and have a video conversation is um, it's becoming the norm. It's becoming more acceptable. So I'm curious to see what changes the business makers uh, are going to make and where that leads them. I'm excited about the next, say, six months of the year to see what, uh, what new challenges we can all undertake and right. grow and develop during this time. Well, most good salespeople, it, it, it's about, Brittany, it's about filling the funnel. So you've always got something coming into the funnel. You've always got something coming out of the funnel. And databases really are, they, they, should be, they shouldn't be evergreen and like, well, we, we sold to this person three years ago. And I think that's the mistake that marketers make here in America is that we think our databases are like, well, I sold something to this person a year ago and they're quote unquote in our database. So let's reach out to them. 
and we do with mass mailings and things like that. When yeah. you look at your database as a company and you look at your customer list and things like that, what's the one thing you should be focusing on when, when perusing through that customer list or that database right now? I think when you're talking about your database, it's um, it's there's a, there's the old perception versus reality. So in an ideal world, you're working with customers who are always responsive. They're going to pick up the phone every time you call. They're going to reply to an email. But in reality, they're um they're, they're less likely to to respond to your different approaches. So um, in, in in an ideal world, what you're doing is you're maintaining the relationship with your customers before they enter into an agreement with you and after they enter into an agreement with you. So you are nurturing that relationship. If you can maintain contact with them uh, through a variety of different methods, um, the ones that, uh, that they're going to respond to the most. So all business leaders respond to different stimuli. So it's about using a combination of um, phone, messenger, there's so many options available, um, text, social media, even in person, which at the moment is a little bit more of a struggle, but there's, a, there's so many different options available now for you to stay connected with these people. And it's about finding what works best for them that is also aligned with the outcome that you're hoping to achieve with that, um, with that particular customer. So um, if, if you can, look at different ways that you can provide value rather than just nagging and selling and getting something from them. How about you offer something of value to them that will help them understand who you are, what you have to offer and how that can be um, a, a mutual agreement between you and them so that you're constantly being able to touch base without being pushy and aggressive and, um, and, and nagging at them the whole time. Is there ever a time to scrap the database in your opinion? Because, and, and I say that Brittany in this way, because I think at times salespeople have a tendency in, in, in my 25 years of sales and sales management, customer engagement, sometimes salespeople use things as crutches when we're going through those times of uncertainty or, yeah. or things like yeah. that. Is there ever a time in your opinion, and I may not be asking the question that way, but what's coming to mind is, is there ever a time do you think to scrap the database? That is the first time I've been asked that question. And it's a really interesting um, opinion and a, and a point of view about how effective your database is. I, I work towards a bit of a, a golden rule when it comes to your follow-up is to keep following up until you get a clear yes or a clear no. Um, and I think what you're referring to there, Brian, is the people who have done business with customers so long ago that it's now almost at that strange time where it would seem quite odd to reach out to them or to continue to um, ask them. But I, I have a, a simple philosophy is that you ask them if they say they're still interested or they're not, then the perfect time is to uh, having a no is, is to me one of the greatest things in the world. So you can stop wasting your time and energy on a prospect that's not going to do business with you. And that way you can remove them from the database and make room for somebody who is more likely to do business. So um, if you ask to give you a, a yes or no answer, I wouldn't completely delete the database, but I'd work through methodically and go through and find out which ones are still interested so that you don't waste your resources in connecting with them if they're not going to proceed. Well, and here's something else to think about as well too, Brittany. It's, it's the fact of 
how reliable is the information inside the database? Because we're getting ready to have an election here. Tomorrow actually is our primary in, in the state of West Virginia. And in the states, we've had other states that have had elections already and things like that. And people talk about voter rolls and they talk about a lot of states here in the, in the U.S. are mailing ballots to people or we've just come through um, our government giving stimulus checks, sending stimulus checks out to people. And they've sent them to people who have been passed away and been deceased for two, three, four years. And so the government in the United States at the state or federal level is going through this database and they're saying, okay, let's send a check here. Let's send a check here. This person filed income taxes, whatever, and the person's deceased. And you reach out That's to that it. person. Yeah, you reach out and you go, well, hey, is, um, you know, hi, is uh, Mr. Smith there? Um, Mr. Smith died three years ago. And so, yeah, again, you know, I love what you said there about making sure your information is good because I think we have a tendency as salespeople sometimes talking about crutches is to use the information that we've gotten maybe in an internet search or maybe some other form and it's not good information. How often should a company, in your opinion, look at their overall customer roster or their database and make sure that information is spot on? Oh, you're so right. I, um, <laughs> I, I, I vividly remember a, an experience where uh, I, I was selling, we were selling retirement homes, the really high-end uh, retirement resorts. And we used to hold functions uh, about once a month to uh, maintain the interest of the people who were going through the building process with us and to, of course, attract new customers. And we, we did a combination. So we used to post out the, the invitations. We used to do an email as well. And then we'd call everybody on our database who was local to the area uh, and, and see if they were coming along. And I remember one time calling a customer who we'd been in contact with, with say six months. And I called him and he said, yes, I got that to, uh, invite in the mail. I, uh, I will come along. And I said, great, will your wife be joining you? And he said, swear word, swear word, no, she's a swear word. She ran off with my friend. <laughs> oh went, my, oh my. <laughs> Talk about not having your information together. And what's interesting is, um, Sometimes the only way you can find out that information is by speaking to them or is by asking. So when you're referring to the government, surely they have systems where, you know, they get a notification. You give our government far too much credit, Brittany. You give the United States government so much more credit than we give it. But that, that brings up an interesting point. It is in that business and i'm going to i'm going to pivot to that in just a second but you were trying to make it really personal yeah hello mr so and so will yeah. your wife be joining you because maybe the last time that you contacted them their their wife or something was very much a part of the picture yeah 
very yeah. much a, a a party that you had to get buy-in from. They were they were a they were a decision maker, mm-hmm. and now that that circumstance changed. When you look at situations like that, and, and you think about how things change very quickly, what is a good piece of advice that you've got for salespeople to always keep their information fresh? Keep in contact with them. Um, and, and, and I think that uh, when we talk about the different types of communication, the only way you can find out the facts is to um, use targeted questions or to, to have a conversation with them to discover where they are at um, within their personal lives, which of course plays a, an important role in establishing your relationship, but also to find out um, how likely they are to do business with you. So mm-hmm. as a salesperson, I'm a huge believer in preparing before a call or before any point of contact. Um, and I do refer to this in my book. I've got a chapter dedicated to preparation before making contact. So mm-hmm. the things that I like to do is I like to prepare a um a, a, a four, four points that I prepare before I proceed with contacting. The first thing I do is set forth my desired outcome. So what I hope to achieve at the end of the call. The second thing I do is list um, uh, targeted questions. So these questions are designed to uncover more about my customer, where they're at, their pain points, their level of urgency, their, um, their, their interest in your product and whatnot. And then the third thing I do is write a list of likely objections that I'm um, going to face within that call. And that is based on the most common ones, of course, but also based on previous interaction I've had with these customers. And finally, my call to action. So I have a sheet in front of me where I can have um, be as prepared as possible before I contact them. And that way it limits your, um, or you can anticipate how that conversation is going to flow rather than leaving it open to um, interpretation once you get on the phone. Of course, in that circumstance, I could never imagine that the wife who had come in a few months beforehand to tour the resort and buy a house with the husband uh, was no longer in the picture. And, uh, you know, you have to roll with the punches as they come. But as being as prepared as possible for me uh, is one of the most effective tools when it comes to following up with your customers and then being able to get the most um, accurate and up-to-date information so yeah. that going forward your call to action and your continued communication is designed to lead them one step closer to uh, to their buying decision and see if there's a, a good fit between you and the customer. Well, maybe if you're really fortunate, they bring their new significant other into the picture and then you've got two, you've got two prospects in there, but you sell them a home, you sell them one home, you, you sell them their homes as far away from each other as possible. <laughs> um, I have dealt with with families who buy two homes at uh, at uh, within the same resorts, and it's interesting seeing how the different dynamics play out because you've got people who either wanted to be next door to each other, or backing on to each other, or um, at the complete opposite end of the resort. So we like we like being near each other, but we don't want to live on top of each other. So um, well, even. For- well, you know, the, the thing about it is maybe you have somebody that you really don't know doesn't like that other person and you say, okay, <laughs> we, we're, we're, they're both interested, but one of them buys in your resort in Queensland and the other one buys a resort in Sydney and that's the way they want it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That as happens. far and away from each other as possible. 
And then, good, good geography there from you, uh, Brian. But then what would happen is the way our resort rules um, worked is that they could go and stay in each other's houses as visitors for, for a certain period of time. So it was like their, their holiday homes, if you will. They could just uh, travel between them both. So, uh, well, vacation homes, according to the Americans. <laughs> yes, vacation homes, absolutely. So let's transition for a, a few minutes, Brittany, to your your journey into sales. When you were growing up in Australia, was sales something that you wanted to do? What What was like life like for you growing up in Australia? Look, my fortunate, um, my parents always raised me with the, the mindset that anything is possible. And I've taken that into my adult years. So uh, I've always looked to, to um, be the best version of myself and to educate myself, upskill and become um, a person that my parents could be proud of, that I could be proud of and, um, and build a, a legacy, if you will, um, in my later years. So um, as, a, as a young girl, I was, and still are to this day, the Australia's um, youngest national champion horse rider. Uh, and I was a, a state finalist um, ice skater as well, a figure skater. And to top it all off, my family is involved in the film industry. So I am a, uh, I'm a stunt woman. And uh, my, my experience. Now, hold up, hold up a minute. You are a stunt woman. Yeah. Do tell that. Oh, let's okay. park there just a second. We're completely off. Uh, yeah, you were just going to pass that up, Brittany. You were just going to be like, I'm the youngest Australian horse riding champion. I was an ice skater. I was a stunt woman next. And you were just going to blow by that. Talk about being a stunt. I mean, now you've got my curiosity aroused, as we say here in the state. So what? how did you get into doing that professionally? My dad is a stunt coordinator or an action director, if you will. So he's been involved in the film industry for the last 30 years. And of course, it became a little bit of a family business. So I did my first stunt when I was about six years old. Um, when I was seven, we, we actually met Heath Ledger, who became a really good family friend of ours. So we worked with Heath before he was famous. Um, and as a seven-year-old, he was 17. He <laughs> I was going to marry him. He was so gorgeous. He was my best friend. He took me out for my eighth birthday. So I have a, a really fantastic affinity with Heath and his um, very tragic story. But throughout yes. my life, um, I've been involved in, um, we obviously don't produce the level of films and television projects that America does. So it's, um, you ride the really big highs and then the lows. And I've watched my family have the most wonderful experiences within the film industry. Uh, and I, I myself has been able to perform uh, on so many occasions uh, up to this date, you can look out what I've worked on on imdb.com if you are really interested. Um, but what I established when I was finishing school was that, uh, you know, I was a bit of an academic. I'm a bit of a go-getter. I was all about career and ambition and I wanted something that was a little bit more stable. Uh, so I entered into accounting uh, and I became an accountant for a few years. And so that, how, uh, how hard was that? I, I've got to, I've got to ask you this. I've yeah, got to jump in and ask do. this because you have a lot of people that would want to, and, and in, and in the United States, we have a lot of people 
that chase fame. They do a lot of things to chase fame because they want to be a reality TV star or they want to do this or that. They want to be famous. You seem like you saw that side of fame and decided to go the other way. Was it a hard thing to go to your parents and say, I really don't want to be in the film industry, even though you've been in front of the camera and done things like that? Because some people, it's a natural progression to continue into that, into that world. Because your dad could have probably opened a lot of doors for you. How hard was it to transition into something, as you say, quote unquote, more stable and not something more glamorous? You know, it's interesting. So first of all, you talk about my connections and my family. My married name is not Baldwin. Um, I, my, my maiden name is Brittany Baldwin and I kept that first of all, because I love my name. Um, but second of all, because of the industry contacts and the name that Baldwin meant, um, in Australia and in stunts. So that in itself opened up a lot of doors for me. So when you talk about the glamour and the the fame and seeking all of that, 100% that is within me. Like I've always wanted to pursue some sort of career in, um, in acting or in stunts or moving overseas, going to LA, uh, the, Amer- the Australian dream, whatnot. Um, but at the same time, I also like having nice things. Uh, I'm a, I really have um, set myself some pretty high standards in, in my personal life. And there's, there's, I guess the challenge is that if, 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 I'd learned from what my family had been through. And in in my later years of school, they rode the low, the really, really low time of the film industry for five years. So they've gone off the back of huge success working back to back to back to nothing. The whole industry crashed. And I thought I could not have that sense of instability within my life because if I'm going to tick off all these things that I want, I want to go to university, I want to travel, I want to have a nice car and a home and get married. And by this time, I've been with my partner since I was 14. So by the time I was making this decision at 17, 18, I already knew that my life was going to be uh, with, with my husband or my then boyfriend. And I thought, what do I need to do to ground myself and give myself the platform so that I can achieve these goals that I've set? Mm. And to me, that meant more than anything, have a stable job with regular income. Uh, and I, um, I'm a black and white person. I, I don't see a lot of grey. Uh, so the, the accounting, I, I topped the accounting um, grade at school. I came first in accounting. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go out and be an accountant. And I enjoyed my time there. I studied and I did my degree and whatnot. And when I finished that, um, I went through that process. I thought, this is not the industry that's going to give me the, um, A, the, the, you know, the, the, the recognition that I deserve. But of course, and I'm not a feminist, but it's a very male driven mm-hmm. um, industry that I knew I didn't have. I actually came to the conclusion that I didn't have the skill set to become the top, top, top accountant. And I have my eye on the prize. And so let so me you, ask you this. Let me, yeah. let me jump in and ask you this. So you go from in your teenage years, you do a lot of things that, that have action. They have thrill seeking. They, you, you are in front of people you're performing. Yeah. 
What prompted you to make the decision to do something in a non-performance for a career? Because accounting, nobody sees the top accountant in, in a company or nobody sees the top accountant in Australia or in your part of the world. What was it about that decision? I'm, I'm fascinated by that because you came from most people, if they wanted to transition from a performance career, they go to another performance career. It may not be in film yeah. or television or something yeah. like that, but they might move into music or they might move into the arts in some way. But you did a complete 180. What was your thought process behind that? I went into the complete opposite, like, you know, the, 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 I didn't wear a suit, but, you know, the suit wearing, high heel wearing, professional corporate environment. Um, and uh, I, <laughs> I can't believe you've asked me this because I'm now going to have to confess something really embarrassing. <laughs> there is nothing um, embarrassing on the Intentional Encourager podcast. This is a safe space, Brittany. A safe space. I mean, look at all the things behind me that could fall and crush my skull at any moment. If you're if you're watching this video, if you're listening to it, you're like, oh my goodness, how horribly has he gone off the rails now? But all right. Okay, okay. so go ahead. I... You're in a safe space here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Bear your soul. The floor is yours. I did it because I was a girl in love and that's what my boyfriend was doing. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like so many American girls that go to college because they go to a certain college. It's like, well, how did you end up here? Oh, my boyfriend was going here, you know? Yeah. Are you uh, sure so you're I'm, not a closet American? Are you yeah, sure? Probably. <laughs> I think I have the flair for it, but um, I met my, I met my boyfriend. I met my husband when I was 12 years old. He was my next door neighbor. And the day I met him, when they moved in, I said, mom and dad, I'm going to marry that boy. I was 12. Now, what did Heath Ledger think about this? Was he approving of the, of the union? Heath had gone on and become famous and he was dating all of the uh, leading Americans. So <laughs> I figured to make him jealous somehow. <laughs> but so you, so you, you go to university and, and you kind of follow in, in, in the yeah. path of your now husband. So, yes. so take me through when you had that, as we call it here, we call it a V8 moment where you kind of hit yourself on the head and you say to yourself, this is not really what I want to be doing. So when did you have that epiphany in your career when you said, this is not what I want to do and I, yeah. I want to do something else? It happened to me when I was 20. Um, and of course it aligned with my parents working on a very big movie here in Australia. Um, so they were working on a movie, a, a, an Indian American co-production that featured Josh Hartnett. And it was probably one of the biggest movies we've had here in a while. So um, the, the, the sheer scale of the movie was, um, was time consuming. My parents were, were certainly invested in that. Um, and I was doubting my ability to have a huge impact in the accounting world. So I actually took the opportunity overnight, resigned my, my position in accounting, which um, 
I'm not a risk taker despite being a stunt person. I'm very calculated. So that was a hard decision for me. And I chose to go out and um, open a stunt agency. So I founded an agency where I represented just about every single um, stunt performer in Queensland, uh, which is where the film was being made. And through that process, I then um, worked with all those stunt performers and put them on this movie and founded this great business. So it got me back in the in the film industry. I realised I'd never worked harder. We worked long days. Um, I was also the lead stunt double for the Indian actress. And despite this very bright light and my pale looking skin, uh, I, I was covered head to toe in, in dark makeup to reflect a, uh, a lady from India. Um, and, and it gave me that juice back where I said, I've never worked harder. I have just spent 14 hours in a swamp with a dead cow carcass. Like, it's disgusting. It's we do the same thing here in West Virginia, so don't feel yeah, bad. That's fine. All right, that's yeah. normal. Um, so I really realized that um, my love for the film industry was so strong, uh, so I needed to find a way for it to be more consistent. Um, and through that process, you know, the, 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 oh, let's, let's be real, the money in movies is, um, is, is pretty good, especially when you're a stunt person. So if you get some work, it's good. So in, in two months, uh, I was able to replicate my annual salary as an accountant. And I you said, are okay. no question the Australian version of Forrest Gump. <laughs> there is no doubt in my mind, you are the Australian version of Forrest Gump. You have been an ice skater, a champion horse jumper, a stunt double, an accountant. Are you sure you're not a secret spy, or is that coming in the next few minutes in this conversation? <laughs> you know what's really funny is you probably call me a secret salesperson at this point, because that's where I've ended up. Uh, so, so let's transition there for a moment yes. from from the the this stunt agency, and obviously, you learned the the long hours that that you had to put in, yeah. and you were running your own business. At what yeah. point did you decide to move, ultimately to to the the position that you took? Later, you talked earlier in our podcast about selling retirement homes. Mm. At what point was it where you transitioned into sales and away from, from stunt work? Yes. Um, the, the beauty of the film industry was that it allowed for flexible um, working, not even hours or days. It, it allowed for flexible months because, as I said, we're not back-to-back -back with movies. So um, that's when I developed my love of travel. So I had the... The, the, the very glamorous wedding here at, um, at the Versace Hotel uh, and I went on a four-month honeymoon to Europe. And um, that was when I decided my life is all about travelling the world. Um, and I'm, I'm so lucky that my husband's goals are aligned with mine because every time I, I pull up a new, a, a new travel destination, he's more on board than not, which is so wonderful. Brittany, um, you and I are, are, are diametrically opposite <laughs> and I love it. Because when my wife and I got married, we had a fabulous romantic one-night honeymoon at a Holiday Inn in Richmond, Kentucky. Very romantic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, be, yeah. Ask my wife how romantic it was. We we destined our our romantic honeymoon destination was Gatlinburg, Tennessee. <laughs> I get it. That's I get how it. diametrically. But I love your story. It, well, it depends 
just where you're at in your life. I yeah. had the flexibility to take four months off work because there was no work. And that comes from a foundation of being a heavy saver. I am a saver, 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 earn, save, earn, save, earn, save. That's my philosophy. Um, so long story short, I spent um, about three years traveling, buying houses um, and, and really uh, getting to that, that level of um, lifestyle that, um, that I talked about earlier. I have high standards that I want to achieve. Uh, and I, I, my mother was working in the retirement company, which is how my story started. And she begged me and she said, Brittany, I'm so busy. I really need your help. She's a, she was a general, became the general manager of sales. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm so busy. I need your help. And I said, no, mom, no, <laughs> um, I, I'm not interested in that career. I'm not interested in working with family. I'm not interested in working at all at the moment because I've got this, um, you know, sort of flexible lifestyle. So we agreed on two days a week, which turned into six days a week. And, uh, and, and just this whole army of, of, of a selling force but prior to I started off helping her and was very quickly identified by the um, by the leading managers of the company that mm. I had a skill set that was interesting to them so I got uh, promoted if you will into a sales manager role so mm. we went straight from I wasn't even doing sales I was managing a team so prior to that sales role uh, and I have a bit of a laugh about this because the closest I'd ever come to selling was a pair of shoes on eBay <laughs> I've got to um, ask you, I've got to dive in here and ask you, yeah, go on. you worked with your dad in the yes. film industry. You worked with your mom in, in sales, in, in sales and things like that. And, and I worked with my dad the last 10 months of his life. So I understand that, that pull, that recruiting. And I got recruited by my dad into, <laughs> into that industry right up until the day he died. How different was it working with your mom and working with your dad? Oh, good question. Um, my mom and dad are like, like they are so separate um, in terms of their management style and their leadership style and their approach to business. So my dad has this natural talent to make everyone feel comfortable. He's a bit of a larrikin. He jokes around, but when it comes to his job, you can imagine being the, the, the stunt coordinator, he is responsible for the entire set's safety and his team of people um, who are performing those stunts. So he has such a high um, level of accountability within his role, but he approaches it in such a, a casual, no-nonsense manner that eases everybody. It makes them feel comfortable, um, but he's backed up by his uh, experience and his skill level where you, you know, you automatically, uh, I obviously trust my dad, but to see how other people respond to his management style, um, he's a different person. The moment he walks on set, you know, it's, 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 it's business. And we're here to do a job. We're here to perform. And he, of course, um, has put me through the ringer uh, on some of the stunts that I've done because um, he knows my, my limits. He knows that I have um, no fear when it comes to performing. My sister, she is not uh, as inclined to do stunts because it's just, it's not, uh, she doesn't have that bravery factor, if you will, that I can just zone out, get the job done. So I think I took that skill from my dad. My mum, on the other hand, is a, 
oh my gosh, a, a major visionary. She has these ideas and she's developed the skill of delegating those ideas to the doer. Uh, of all jobs. So she has really taught me the power of networking and connections and the ability to um, have an idea and then implement that to from I suppose conception to completion. So she has taught me the she the selling skills as well as um, the ability to think big and execute your ideas in a way that um, aligns with what other people are trying to achieve. So uh, I have my mother to thank because she's the put your hand up even if you can't do it type of person and then make it happen. Uh, and that's outside of my comfort zone. But because she pushed me in this direction, um, well, I told you I had no sales experience and now I'm teaching people how to sell. So mm -hmm. obviously she's um, had, had a huge impact on the direction that my life has taken. And I'm so grateful for both of them for giving me different um, aspects and viewpoints on how business and life should be run. I want to transition here real quick. You have overcome something that a lot of people in this audience either know someone that has gone through this, or they've experienced it themselves. You are a cancer survivor. And I, yeah. I think that is so, such a powerful part of your story. Tell me about finding out that you had skin cancer and, and kind of take me. And again, I, I don't want to get really emotional to, to, to go to a place that you aren't comfortable going, but I think it's so powerful. What, all the things in your life you had done and all the accomplishments and achievements that you had had to that point, you go to the dermatologist and you find out you have melanoma. Take me through that time in your life. Um, and it's quite recent um, as well. So the, when you talk about somebody who's highly accomplished um, and and a lot of my success actually came immediately before this diagnosis. So um, I've gone from somebody with no sales experience to, uh, to promotion after promotion after promotion and performing at such a high level, um, being rewarded very handsomely, of course, but being able to have um, a, you know, a, a huge growth in the sales world uh, and, 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 and record results and uh, implementing all these amazing processes and systems. The downside of that was that I was working six hour weeks, 16 hours a day. Um, I was living away from home for um, five days of the week. And um, eventually that environment does become a little bit toxic. What happened was when you're performing at this high level, uh, of course, the world um, turns you on your head. And I had a very unexpected redundancy, which, uh, if I'm not being too dramatic, actually saved my life. Um, I was so invested in my job and working hard and achieving such great results that um, I had neglected my health, which I'm sure most of your listeners at some point in their lives have done. So the first lesson is never put your health behind your work. Uh, and because I had this newfound freedom in my, uh, in my redundant uh, life, I went along to our skin specialist for my annual check and he performed a biopsy and said, um, and got me in on Monday morning and said, Brittany, you have cancer. And 
as a 29 year old who's been taught that anything is possible, <clears throat> excuse me, anything is possible, um, this was something that was awesome and it was outside my ability to um, to shape my life and my future. So uh, they they told me that melanoma left untreated would kill me. So the, the benefit of it was, of course, that I'd caught it early. Um, so I don't live in any regrets that my, my work, um, you know, impacted my, my longevity on this, on this planet. Uh, I did, I was fortunate enough to catch it early um, and I had the surgery and I am cancer free and have never looked back. I do have a lifestyle about now though of, um, of getting constant um, spots checked and cut out uh, for, for, for life. I care for my skin. It's under my foot. I take a tent to the beach. That's how much I care about my skin. So that in itself was surprising. But it allowed me to say, I have been made redundant. I have been diagnosed with cancer. It's right before Christmas, my favorite time of year and right near your wife's birthday. Um, and uh, I'm a big believer in new year, new me. Every year I set goals for myself. And on the 1st of January, I said, if this is not some sort of sign that the direction I was going in is not um, my end goal or is not going to allow me to influence others and help them out, um, then I'm not sure I'll ever get a more apparent sign. So that was the day that I decided to start my sales training business and have the ability to help others in an area that was so, um, useful to me in my early selling career, but it certainly made me um, re-look at the way I was living my life. And look, I, um, without a doubt, I had a very normal life and I looked after myself. I'm very healthy. I exercise, but um, these changes that can happen to you so suddenly, I figured that um, now I need to really value what's important to me and understand what my um, life is going to look like for the next five to 10 years and, and make that change. So 1st of January was uh, uh, sentimental to me because I like new year, new business, new direction and, um, mm. and new appreciation of my life and my body and my health. What were those two days like in between your diagnosis and your surgery? What, what was your thought process in, in those two days? Because you, you look at it and you go to the doctor and, and he says, okay, you have cancer. We're going to schedule you immediately because it's serious enough. We have to deal with it right now. And then you have a surgery on a Wednesday, but take me through those 48 hours between diagnosis and, and surgery. What were those like? What were your emotions? What were your, what was your thought process? Uh, first of all, you think this is unfair. Um, why, why me? Uh, and I, and I think that, um, for somebody who's so, I, I'm a planner, I have my life set out type of thing. So I hate change and, and that's the worst, uh, worst trait to have change is good. Um, so, for, so from going through the, the, the disbelief that this could even be happening to you, to the severity, um, I was, despite living in Australia, where like the skin cancer capital of the world, um, I was relatively ignorant about what skin cancer meant. Um, so I guess, you know, you, you, there's that, you're torn between educating yourself with what your options are and not wanting to find out about, you know, your chance of survival kind of thing, um, because the C word is, is scary under any circumstances. So. I remember meeting my surgeon 
<laughs> and uh, to this day, I'm, I'm quite mortified about this conversation, but you're not in your right mind space. And, um, and he told me that the, the little spot, tiny weeny freckle under my foot, under my foot, he said to me, um, the margin that we have to take from that will be so wide that the hole will not, um, we can't sew it back up. So we're going to have to take a skin graft from your bikini line and then use that skin um, so that you don't have like a crater in your foot. And I said to him, I said, well, can you take it from under my bum? And he said, <laughs> and he said, no, um, it has to go from your bikini line. I said, doctor, surgeon, do you know? And oh, I said, do you know, this is embarrassing. Do you know why I'm not an organ donor? And he said, no, Brittany, tell me. I said, because when I get buried, I don't want there to be a single scar on my body. And you're about to give me two. And um, for those, for, for those, let me translate the vernacular. Can you take it from my bun? Bum means, can you take it from my rear end, my backside? I don't want to see it. You're yeah. right. Where no one can yeah. see it. Yeah. But, but again, you know, that that's natural, I think too, because, you know, we, we worry and a lot of Americans, we do the same thing. We're, we're so obsessed with our looks and things like yeah. that. And, and you were facing a traumatic situation to the point that could have affected the way you walked, the way you, you moved and things like that. And, and I, that's why I wanted to get that perspective of where the thought process was. So everything was a success. Has there, have you had any, any issues from it? No, I've had, um, I've had five spots cut out since my surgery and they've all come back negative, which is, you know, wonderful, but um, certainly, you know, very scary while you're waiting for those results. Sure. And of course, when you, when you start conversing with other people and you hear them, I, I am surrounded, I'm surrounded by people who say, I know someone who had melanoma, they died. I know someone who had melanoma, they died. That's not they, what you want to hear, right? That's not what you want to hear. I get it all the time. So it's, I, I, I was speaking to a mentor of mine and they said to me, you need to start viewing it that um, you had cancer and you don't have cancer. Yeah. Um, and that, that simple terminology in my mind, I'm now no longer living in fear that I'm going to die from cancer. Um, you know, I'm doing everything I can. I've, uh, I've made some changes to the supplements. I've got, you know, vitamin D drops and whatnot. Um, I get a skin check now every three months. They told me I only have to do that for five years. I'm going to do that for life. Why? Yeah. Because I want to catch this thing if it, if it ever um, comes back. And uh, so, you know, uh, and I don't surround myself with people who tell me that, you know, you die from cancer. So thanks for that. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But I remember uh, I was off my feet for four, months, uh, four weeks. I, I had to elevate my foot. I could not walk for four weeks. And I, and I remember uh, my... <laughs> I couldn't even take myself to the toilet. Um, like I couldn't hop. I was, I, was, I had the bikini line as well. So I was all, I remember sitting on the toilet in the first day and I put my pinky toe on the sore foot down on the floor and the agony was so horrendous. It's at that time I said, I'm never going to walk again. <laughs> Dramatic, but I felt it. 
and I thought, what is my life going to become? Uh, and I am a person who's invested in my looks and, um, and who, who um, you know, I have an, I, I'm a perfectionist type person. So having this scar on my foot is not a badge of honor for me. It's something that um, is a, it's a, it's a defect. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and that was um, still, you know, the, the scar is fading. It's still there. I don't view it. Every time I look at it, I, I have now had to say like that there was my life changer not that there is an ugly scar that's going to be with you for life um so you know as time goes on i i I recognize the importance of it more um and and thank my lucky stars that that i found it but it was because of a set of circumstances that went in place my being being made redundant um that allowed me to free up some time to go and see the skin man in the first place. So Mm -hmm. grateful for that. Um, Am I, am I glad it happened? No, I'm not. Um, But I guess my message is to, you can only control, you can't control the things around you, but you can control your response to them. And I've worked really hard on responding to my diagnosis and then my subsequent scars um, in a way that has a, a more positive impact internally. Wow. I was going to ask you what your biggest piece of intentional encouragement is. And you just said it. Is that it? You just, you just so beautifully said it. Brittany, tell folks where they can find you, find your work, find your materials, connect with you. I would highly recommend connecting with Brittany. I'm going to give you the last couple of minutes to tell folks where they can connect with you. Thank you so much. Um, I have my sales training company is called TikTok Sales which is not the social media app. Not the social media app. No. I think they copied me personally. Um, No, it's T-I-C-K-T-O-C-K. So you can connect with me on Facebook or Instagram, TikTok sales. Brittany Baldwin on LinkedIn. And if you'd love to get a copy of my book, Database to Dollars, it is on the TikTok sales website tiktoksales.com.au forward slash book. It was my project. Uh, I said, I told you I set goals. I set 20 goals for 2020 and number one was write a book. So I used my quarantine period, uh, again, a little blessing in disguise. So I had no distractions. I said, by the end of this, I want to come out with something that um, is a personal goal, but as well can influence others. So the book is my little project. It is being sent off to the publishers um, next week. So I'm officially launching on the 1st of July. Wonderful. TikToksales.com.au forward slash book is where you can register your interest. Uh, and I put up regular sales training tips and, and ideas for people if they are um, needing any help in those areas across social media. My number one goal for 2020 was not to sound stupid and I've already <laughs> failed. So yeah, you but I, you know, I launched a podcast. So I launched That's a podcast. <laughs> Brittany Baldwin, what a, what a fabulous conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And I really appreciate your, uh, you allowing me the opportunity to share my story and, and connect with your visitors. So uh, my, my goal is that you grow your base here down under in Australia. I would be talking to myself if, it weren't, if I weren't talking to you. So I'm really glad you hopped on the Intentional Encourager podcast. My pleasure. 
My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Meads. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place can be an intentional.